Hey, if you've got a Bible, jump into it either through flicking the pages or scrolling the screens to Ephesians chapter 6. Uh, we're going to get into uh, week two of a series we started last week called Battle Ready. Looking at, uh, thank you, Pete. Thank you so much. I, I've received that word of encouragement. Um, the armor of God in Ephesians 6. And we talked last week how this, this message, this theme, this story, or, or whatever you like, of the armor of God um, can so easily just be sort of put in the category of, oh, that's, that's a great series for kids' church. So let's just do that to kids. And then we can get the coloring in and we put the shield, put the helmet and the shoes. And, oh, beautiful, my gosh. Um, but the Apostle Paul, when he wrote this letter in jail, wasn't thinking about kids' church pastors having a great uh, series to teach. He, he was talking about, he wrote a letter to the church to really, really help them in their Christian walk. And we see that the rich theology of Ephesians, uh, especially 1 and 2, and then coming through all the way to chapter 5, is like really, really ridiculously helpful to understand who we are in Christ and what Christ has done for us over two millennia of, of time. And then at the end of chapter, five, chapter 6, sorry, he starts to talk about, now that you know who you are in Christ and what Christ has done for you, put on some armor because you're in a battle. And we're going to get ready for this battle. And I think so many of us get lulled into thinking, well, I've got life under control. I don't really need anything else. I'm self-sufficient. Um, but there is an enemy who does roar around like a roaring lion, seeking whom he may devour. And we need to be prepared for that in a spiritual sense. And so this series is about looking at the armor that God has given us to put on in order to ready ourselves for that battle. So brief little recap of last week, we looked at the belt of truth how uh, the belt in and of itself as a, as a piece of the armour really isn't offensive or defensive as such. It's more an article of clothing, but, but it has nonetheless significant impact on the overall armour as it holds everything together. It secures it all together. That When you click the belt into place, it makes sure that everything is interlocked and the whole armour is functioning as it should. And then Jesus teaches us that he is the way, he is the truth, and he is the life in, in John 14, 6. And then again in Colossians 1.17, it says that in Jesus, everything is held together. So this belt of truth, we could, we could say, really is making sure that our life is secured by the gospel of Jesus Christ. The nature, the life, the person of Jesus, that he is the truth. That everything is held together in him. And when we secure the belt of truth around us, what we're saying is we are secure in God. We know what Jesus has done for me, and he is my ultimate source of truth. And, and who we are today in life and what we believe about life and how we go about our life is shaped by the primary sources of information that we surrender ourselves to. So you would all, all of us have the same relatively news source that we would follow, the same authors we would read, the same Instagram accounts that we would follow. And so those sources of information shape how you think, shape how I think. So my question that we posed last week was, is Jesus really the primary source of information that we surrender ourselves to that shapes how we think and how we live this life? As a Christian, he must be because that means he is the belt of truth that secures everything that God has given us together so that we can fight the spiritual battle that we are in as children of God. And then in, in Timothy, we finish with um, chapter four, uh, 2 Timothy 4, 3-4, how Paul talks about how there is a time coming. And perhaps, perhaps maybe even this is the time that Paul was talking about right now, where people will um, turn away from the truth, turn away from sound teaching, turn away from fundamental principles of the Christian faith, 
and they will turn and wander off into myths. Because we, we surround ourselves with what we want to believe, usually people that say what we want them to say, so that we can continue to think what we've always wanted to think. But, but Jesus will challenge you. Jesus will challenge me in things that we think about and, and try to realign us in how the kingdom operates. So that was last week. That was a little recap for you. So if you've got your Bible, Ephesians chapter 6, it'll be on the screen. I'll read these four verses from verse 10. Finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in heavenly places. Therefore, take up the whole armor of God, that you may be able to withstand in the evil day, and having done all, to stand firm. Stand therefore, having fastened the belt of truth, and having put on the breastplate of righteousness. So today we're going to look at what is the breastplate of righteousness. But before we do, let's pray. Father, I thank you for this morning. I thank you for this message. I thank you for this portion of scripture, Lord, that you would unpack it for us and help us digest it in a way that, Lord, it would bring life and nourishment to our bodies. Lord, would you give us ears to hear, give us hearts to hear, give us a willingness to respond in a manner that is worthy of your word being responded to. So that this is not just another message, this is not just a TED talk, Lord God, but this is an unpacking of your word that would unlock life for all of us who obey. In Jesus' name. Amen. Well done, you beat me to it, I love it. Um, so last week, and we read in Ephesians 6 there, in verse 11 and 13, twice, Paul says, put on the whole armor of God. Take up the whole armor of God. And so it's important when we go through these things, when we read through the whole armor of God, that we're not just picking out the bits that probably are helpful to us or maybe the ones that we need a little bit of help with. Or this, It's a total package. We have to look at this as an entirety and every single bit has its important role to play in us standing and being in full protection against the attacks of the enemy that will try to steal, kill and destroy from us. So the breastplate... Of righteousness. So the breastplate, clearly, it's pretty obvious what a breastplate is in reality. It's a piece of armor that would go over the chest and back, and its main role was to protect the vital organs, much like a bulletproof vest. Put it on, and anything that's trying to get you, trying to protect your heart, your lungs, your liver, all the stuff that lives in here, that on a physical sense is what the breastplate does. But we're talking about armor that is spiritual in nature, not necessarily physical. And Pastor David Hooper is going to unpack that in a couple of weeks' time about the physical nature of it and where it originated from. And, but let's look at what this signifies. What does the breastplate of righteous, sig, righteousness signify spiritually? Well, Proverbs 4.23 says this. It says, above all else, guard your heart. Guard it. Your vital organ, spiritually. Your vital spiritual organ is your heart. Why is it so vital? Because from it, Everything in your life flows. Everything. From the overflow of the heart, the mouth speaks. So we have to guard our heart above all else from the attacks of the enemy, from the lies of the enemy, from the temptations of this world, so that the things that flow out of our life are actually good and healthy and helpful and life-giving to other people. And also it protects us from the enemy's attacks. So how do we do that? How do we put on a spiritual 
breastplate. We do it with a thing called righteousness. Righteousness. What is righteousness? It's not, not really a word that we would use in 2022 in common vernacular. Like, um, hey, dude, Ken, how is your righteousness, man? Are you doing okay with your righteousness? Yeah, bro, no, it's pretty sick. Uh, you know, last week, righteousness was down a little bit, but then I did this thing and then that more. So it's just not a common word. It's, it's so, so Christian, we sort of forget its meaning. But, but the sense, what righteousness means is the rightness of God. If I could break it down as simply as possible, it's the rightness of God, the correctness, the, the perfectness of God. That's what righteousness means. It's, it's his perfectness as the standard for life and goodness. That's what righteousness actually means. Moses describes it really well in Deuteronomy 32 verse 4. He, he, he describes the attributes of God. And as he describes God, he's giving us a beautiful description of what righteousness is. He says that, that God, his work is perfect. All his ways are justice. A God of faithfulness and without iniquity. And upright is he. That's what righteousness looks like. It's the attributes of God. Now, if you are anything like me, and you're a little bit savvy, and you like to join the dots, and you realize that, that righteousness is uh, God's rightness or his perfect standard towards life and, and, and living, and, and then we're told to put on a breastplate of righteousness... I don't measure up to the description of what righteousness is. I, I'm not perfect. I, I don't have it all together. I don't live a life without iniquity. I don't, uh, I'm not upright in everything I do. So, so how does that work? How do I do that when I don't measure up? Well, that's exactly the point. That's exactly the beauty of the gospel of Jesus Christ, that none of us measure up, that we all fall short of the glory of God, and it's only the work of God in us and through us that allows us to be righteous. Anything else is self-righteousness where we puff ourselves up according to our standard of rightness and our standard of correctness and our standard of perfection and elevate ourselves above other people. That's self-righteousness and that is essentially it's the fruit of pride. And it's ugly and it's unattractive. But this is not the righteousness we're talking about. We're talking about the righteousness of God that is freely given to us. Let's read a couple of scriptures because it just helps unpack this so beautifully. 2 Corinthians 5.21 for our sake, you and me, for our sake, right? God made him to be sin who knew no sin. Jesus was perfect. And God put the sin of the world on him so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Okay. Interesting. I see you, you, you need more convincing. Okay, I, I get it. I get it. Let's hear some more. Philippians 3 verse 9. Not having a righteousness of my own, which comes through the law... Right? which is impossible because none of us can meet the standards and expectations of the Lord that makes us righteous. But he, Paul says, I don't have a righteousness of my own through the law, but that which comes through faith in Christ Jesus, the righteousness from God that depends on faith. Or, you want more? Okay, sure, I'll give you more. Romans 3.22, the righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ is for all who believe. This is what is known as imputed righteousness. That of our willpower, our effort, according to the metrics of the Old Testament law, we could never ever become righteous. But through Christ's atoning death on the cross, 
his resurrection from the dead, he fulfilled the law, and subsequently his righteousness or his rightness with God has been imputed to us who believe. It's by God's grace through faith that we are saved, Ephesians chapter 2. We have righteousness because of what Jesus did. We have the rightness of God. We have right standing with God because of what Jesus has done. And now, now that we've built a little framework around what righteousness is, I just want to now talk about, real quick, two aspects of righteousness. The first is that righteousness is a relationship. Righteousness is relationship. In Romans 10, verse 9 to 10, it says, If you confess with your mouth, believe with Sorry, confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus Christ and believe in your heart that God has raised him from the dead, you'll be saved. For with the heart one believes unto righteousness. So with our heart we believe and then we are, because of what Jesus did, we are made righteous. We are now right with God. We have been justified. And with the mouth, confession is made unto salvation. So righteousness makes us right with God. It brings us into relationship with him. We now rightfully are friends with God, but it gets better. Because Ephesians 1.5 says that he predestined us for adoption as sons through Christ Jesus according to the purpose of his will. God's will is to adopt you into his family so that you would be his son or his daughter and he would be your dad. Now, if you've ever been in a healthy family situation, you would understand the rights of a child. You would understand the, the, the confidence and the freedom and the peace that comes with being a child in a house where it's secure. We are like that. We have been predestined, if you like, that's a big word, to, to, according to God's will, be in God's family. And with that comes benefits. Romans 8, 16, we are children of God. And if children, we are heirs. Heirs of God and fellow heirs or co-heirs with Christ. That Jesus essentially is now our big brother, the God of the Heavenly Father, and the inheritance of heaven awaits us because we are now freely welcomed in and legally welcomed into his family. It's incredible. Colossians 1.12, give thanks to the Father who has qualified you to share in the inheritance of the saints. Are we getting a picture of who we are now? Righteousness is a relationship. We are now children of God. God declares us righteous and we are now able to have a relationship with him and enjoy the benefits that come with that. I remember, um, what was it, four years ago now, 2018, um, I was fortunate enough to head over to America and visit a bunch of different churches and... I don't think I've shared this story before. If I have, humor me. Um, but I went to, to South Carolina and met with um, a friend of mine who's pastoring over there, Dan Leanne. Now, Dan Leanne used to be in Australia, in Melbourne. Um, I got him here uh, when we were youth pastoring to preach at one of our youth nights. Awesome dude, wonderful dude. So then when we were over there, we looked him up and went to see his church in South Carolina. And um, while we were there, it was mega church, like 20,000 people, and we got to sit on staff meetings and planning meetings and go to youth events and a whole bunch of different things. And this one day he said, oh, do you boys want to come to those three of us? Do you boys want to come to um, meet some of my connect group guys? I'm like, sure, of course, we'd love to do that. Like, we've seen the bigness of church, how it all works. Let's see the, the small thing, the, 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 the connect group thing, you and your, your boys. He's like, oh, cool, cool. So we drove... Uh, about half an hour north, we were in a place called Anderson, and about half an hour north of that was a, a place called Clemson. Now, Clemson is a university town. Like, literally, they build a university on there and then build a whole city around it to facilitate that university. And, and so when uni closes down or the college closes down, the whole city is a ghost town until the you know, semester starts back up again. 
And so we get there, and uh, it was awesome. We went through the front door. Grand, like the grounds are just incredible. Everything, like there's no expense spared. The buildings are amazing. Everything's just perfect. So we come through the main uh, building into the, the foyer area. And um, so obviously, you know, his Connecticut boy is a college student. So I'm like, okay, I got that. And then we get to this table where there's a sign-in area. And, and our friend Dan goes forward and says, oh, hi, these guys are with me. And like, oh, yep, sure, no worries, Mr. Mr. Leanne, that's fine. Here's some lanyards. And so we put these Clemson University lanyards on. I'm like, that's weird. And then they say, look, as you go through, please put your phone away, don't take any photos. So I'm like, what an odd thing to say. What a bizarre thing to say. Anyway, so I put our phones away. And, and then we walked into this next room. And as we opened the door and stepped through, we were in this massive, massive state-of-the-art football training facility, like with a full-size American football field, uh, roofs that went on for days. There was uh, a scaffolding at either end of the field with cameras who had a live stream filming the, the practice, and all the teams were out there practicing. Now, Clemson football team, if you know college football, is one of the top three football teams in all of America. Absolutely incredible. So we were there, got to meet the coach, some of the players came over, meeting. I'm like, what the heck? And I felt like, what am I doing here? Why, how did I get here that I am able to, little old Justin from Coffs Harbour is now in Clemson University watching one of the premium college football teams train, meeting the coach, mind blown. Then, then practice finished and they go off and so we were able to play on the field and throw balls and whatever and, and you know, it's obviously pretty goofy watching Australians play American football but it was fun. And then they took us out the back and we got to go to the cafeteria where they, the team ate. We got to go to the video room where they, they watched all the videos and prepared for the games. We got to see their sleeping quarters. They've got a barber on staff 24-7 to cut their hair whenever they feel like it. Um, then we went to this room where they like, definitely put your phones away now. You cannot get your phone out for anything here. And so we went to this room and there was a, a wall about literally the size of this screen, about eight metres long. And on that wall was listed the top 500 high school players that they were scouting for next year's intake. Who would be the cream of the crop? What position do they need? Who's got the skills? So 500 high school boys, all their statistics, where they're from in the country, and then a team of about six or seven analysts who are looking for who they can recruit for. Like, it's just a whole other world. And I'm pinching myself going, what is going on? And so we did all this, met some of the guys, and he goes, oh, let's go out for dinner. I'm like, cool, let's go for dinner. And so we went out for dinner, this little southern barbecue place with like brisket and I finally got to have collard greens and had some, um, uh, oh, what is it? Um, oh, like biscuits with like scones, just a full southern thing. Um, and then they, he brought one of the players with him and one of the players was their star quarterback, Trevor Lawrence. And, and so Trevor sat right in front of me and I sat and had dinner and conversation with Trevor for an hour. Trevor the next year would go on to be the number one draft pick in the NFL and just totally killing it. So it's like my spiritual son, really, to be honest. Um, and, and it's weird because while we're having dinner, families would come over to our table and say, I'm really sorry, can we just get a photo with Mr. Lawrence? And, and so he would stand up and super gracious and take photos of people. He was literally the most famous person in South Carolina. And so I don't say that to name drop at all. I'm not that type of person. I say that because the whole time I'm thinking, I shouldn't be here. Who am I that I deserve to be at this training facility, meeting the coach, having dinner with the quarterback, seeing where these guys train and sleep and recruit and all this sort of stuff. It was blowing my mind. Who am I? And I looked down at the lanyard. And because I had a relationship with Dan, that's why I had access to all this sort of stuff. 
Some people looked at me funny, like, what are you doing? What are you doing here? They're like, oh, I'm with Dan. Oh, cool, cool. It's all yours. And it got me thinking, that's like, like life. If you have a question why you're here on earth, you are rightfully here because of Jesus. You are righteous and deserve your place here on this earth because of what Jesus has done for you. That he has given you a lanyard called righteousness or a breastplate called righteousness that not only protects you from the attacks of the enemy, but it shows you who you are and you have rightful place here on this earth. And he has a plan and a purpose for your life that he sent his own son Jesus to die to give you. This imputed righteousness which is absolutely incredible. So we can hold our heads high and live life to the full with confidence knowing whose we are because we now know who we are because of what Jesus has done for us. So we, righteousness is a relationship. Us and God are now family. We have a, 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 an inheritance that awaits us because we have been adopted into his family. So let's live like children of God. Let's live confidently knowing that God is our Father and He's got our back and it is all good. The second part is that righteousness is a responsibility. So the opposite of righteousness, sometimes it's, fun, it's, it's good to know, in order to know what something is, it's important to know what it isn't. So the opposite of righteousness is actually wickedness and sin. Romans, 12, sorry, Romans 1 verse 29 to 31 describes the things that are considered unrighteous such as covetousness, malice, envy, murder, strife, deceit, maliciousness, gossip, slander, arrogance, boasting, disobedience, foolishness, faithlessness, heartlessness and ruthlessness. These things describe the unrighteous or aspects of unrighteousness. And in 1 Corinthians 6, 9-11, Paul affirms this when he writes, "Do Do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God. Do not be deceived. Neither the sexually immoral, nor the idolaters, nor the adulterers, nor men who practice homosexuality, nor thieves, nor the greedy, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God. And such were some of you. Such was I. But you were washed. I was washed. We were sanctified. We were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of God we have been made righteous. So to put on the breastplate of righteousness in some respects is to put off our sinful undergarments or our unrighteous sinful behaviours. Our old self. We've got to put that stuff off. Ephesians put it this way, chapter 4 verse 22. Put off your old self which belongs to your former manner of life. And it's corrupt through deceitful desires and to be renewed in the spirit of your minds and to put on the new self created in the likeness of God in true righteousness and holiness. That's what we're called to do. Put off the old self, the unrighteous ways and put on this breastplate of righteousness, this new way. There's a responsibility on us to to live in such a way that brings glory to God, that we are called to live holy lives. Our worship is to be holy and pleasing and acceptable to God, Romans chapter 12, verse 2. We present our whole life, our whole body, our whole being to God in a manner that is worthy of His excellence, of His standard. And the only way we can do that is not because of our willpower, but because of the imputed righteousness of God that has adopted us into His family, that we now have His Spirit dwelling in us that empowers us to live that kind of way. 
And then when we fall short of the glory of God again and again, which we do, we can step into that with repentance and God's grace and God's mercy and continue to be strong in the faith. And one of the attacks of the enemy will be try to drag you down, remind you of your past, and, but you used to be like that. And, and some of us, we, we make a decision, to, I'm going I'm to give God more of my life, I'm going to try my hardest to be, to be more kind and more compassionate, but the enemy reminds you, oh, no, no, don't forget, you did this. Don't forget what, yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, uh. And the breastplate of righteousness also it reminds us of who we are and that all things have been made new so that when the devil tries to come and grab us by the heels and drag us back, we can reject that and put him in his rightful place. Let's not go back to the grave that Jesus resurrected us from. Let's not go back to the old habits. The, old, the Bible's pretty clear. All things are new. Let's live new. Let's live new. We have a responsibility with this righteousness that's been given to us to steward it such, in such a way that we don't return back to our old life. We live in the newness of life. And our old way of dealing with things, we've got to find new ways of dealing with things. Be quick to forgive, quick to say sorry, quick to show love, quick to be generous, all those sorts of things. What does that mean practically? Well, let's read Colossians chapter 3. There's a lot of scripture this morning. So I might need to listen back or I'll send my notes out, whatever, but that's good. Colossians 3.12. Put on then, as God's chosen ones, which means we are righteous, holy and beloved. This is what our new life looks like. Put on compassionate hearts. Put on kindness. Put on humility. Put on meekness and patience. Bear with one, bear with one another. If anyone has a complaint against another, forgive each other. For the Lord has forgiven you, so you must forgive other people. Above all else, put on love, which binds everything together in perfect harmony. You want the church to function well? Let's put on love. What does love look like? Well, let's read 1 Corinthians 12, 13. That's what love looks like. Not today, because we don't have time. And let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, to which indeed you were called into one body. And be thankful. Let the, Lord, let the word of God dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your hearts to God. We did all that this morning. And whatever you do, in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. That's our responsibility. Righteousness is imputed to us. God has made us brand new. But with that, we've got this responsibility to, to do, essentially do everything in the name of Jesus. I cannot get cut off in traffic, jump out of my car and beat the living snot out of someone in the name of Jesus. You, you can't commit adultery in the name of Jesus. You can't Cheat your taxes and cook the books if you're in business in the name of Jesus. We have a responsibility to live right lives. We've been given the rightness of God. Now we're stewards of that rightness for his glory, for the good of others and for our joy. We have a responsibility to live right, to put on the breastplate of righteousness. How do we do that? It's on the wall. First of all, we'd be with Jesus, which we can now 
because of what he has done to make access to him available for us and us to have right standing with him. And we'd be like Jesus by living righteous lives as he did by the power of the Spirit at work within us. The breastplate of righteousness gives us relationship, gives us responsibility so that in this battle of life, we can stand knowing that we are secure in Jesus. We don't have to fight, we don't have to toil, we don't have to use willpower. It's just like being in Him. He is our righteousness. He is our shield. He is our strength. He is our salvation. He is our truth. He is our life. Let's pray. Father, I just thank you for this morning. And God, I know that we've journeyed through a lot of scripture and thoughts and and things and it's been quite, I guess, dense in in parts. but, But I thank you that your word is alive and living. And Lord, even though intellectually we might find ourselves hard to keep up with some of this stuff, but I pray that your spirit just cuts through all of that and speaks to our spirit. Lord, I thank you that there has been spirit-to-spirit conversations happening in this place this morning where heaven meets earth in our hearts. Where the Father and his children interact in the openness of our hearts and souls. Lord, I thank you that with that interaction comes a burst of life, a burst of love, a burst of hope. Where we might have walked in here this morning and just feeling heavy, feeling dark, feeling burdened. But Lord, I know that just one word from you that penetrates our heart will burst forth life, burst forth truth, burst forth hope that will shift our circumstance, shift our life. Lord, I thank you that in your presence comes perspective. In your presence, we can see things as they truly are. In your presence, we can drop off the weight that we carry unnecessarily. In your presence, we can step into the freedom and the liberty that you have for us, God. In your presence, we can see that we have been made righteous because of what your son Jesus has done for us. In your presence, we can see that by the power of your Holy Spirit, that we can live a a life where we steward that righteousness responsibly by living lives that are holy and pleasing to you. So Lord, I pray that every single heart in this place will be touched by your presence right now. Every single mind would rest as you touch them with your, with your grace, with your truth, God. And Lord, I pray for anyone here this morning that's never, never made a decision to follow you, hasn't become a, a Christian, But I thank you that you are knocking on their heart this morning. You are knocking on their heart to come in and transform and bring brand new life, bring eternal eternal security to them and bring hope for this life. If that's you this morning, if you're here and you've never made a decision, just while every eye is closed in respect 
and reverence if you've never made a decision to follow Jesus to become a Christian. Today's your day. You're not here by accident. You might have thought, you might have thought that you came here because it was your plan and purpose. No, no, no. God planned and purpose for us to be here today. God planned and purpose for you to be here today. God planned and purpose for me to share this message that he would speak through me to your heart in order to reach you so that you would know him. If that's you this morning and you want to say, yeah, look, Justin, I, I, I want to cross that line of faith. When you're reading those, those lists of unrighteous attributes, some of those things reminded me of me. And if the Bible says that those sort of things disqualify me from heaven, then I want to make sure that, that God can take those things away from me so that I can be partake, partake in the inheritance of the saints like you talked about. And, and let me just tell you this. Becoming a Christian is not doing a four-week course. It's not being sprinkled with water or going through some sort of initiation thing. It's, it's what we read this morning in Romans 10. It's, it's confessing with our mouth and believing in our heart that Jesus is Lord. See, Jesus has done the heavy lifting for us. Our responsibility now is to believe by faith. And that shifts everything. He fulfilled the law, the requirements of years gone by so that we could be partakers of the benefit of that by faith in Jesus. So if this morning you want to cross that line of faith and put your trust in Him, <coughs> repent of all those things that would mark you as unrighteous that we read before in order to take hold of the brand new life and become a Christian, would you just, wherever you are, wherever, wherever you are close, just raise your hand to say, can you pray with me? I want to do that today. Yeah. Thank you, Jesus. Or maybe you've made that decision before, but life, man, I know it gets tricky. It gets tough. Things get in the way. Things get hard. And you found maybe you've slipped away from that closeness with God that you once have. But, but this morning you've realized, I've got to come back into relationship with God. Enough of the drifting, enough of the wandering. I've got to come back to the truth. If there's anyone here like that that wants to recommit and reconnect to God this morning, would you, would you raise your hand real quick so I can pray with you? Yeah, thank you. I see that. That's awesome. So good. We can do business here this morning. Thank you, Jesus. Hey, why don't we stand to our feet wherever we are? We're going to finish by praying together. Lord, would your presence sweep through this place? Lord, would you clear out the cobwebs of religion that get so easily entangled around our heart? Would you clear out the desires of sin that just we tolerate in our life that cloud our ability to connect with you well? Lord, the, the things that, that we allow to slowly take us back to that place of unrighteousness, Lord God, we repent of that this morning. We want to step into a reconnected state with you, Lord God. 
and understand that the righteousness of Christ has been imputed to us, that we have been made brand new and we are in rightful relationship with you, Lord God. We have an inheritance as your children that awaits us, Lord. And as such, we have a responsibility to, to not live as religious robots, but live as your children in the freedom and the liberty you've called us to live, Lord God, to, 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 be, to be empowered by your spirit to do the things that we could never do in our own strength, Lord. So would you help us today, Lord God, each and every one of us make that decision to step into a life filled with faith, marked by faith, that we would live holy and righteous lives like you've designed and called us to live. Lord, would you bless us in the midst of the battle that we all face. Lord, as we fasten the belt of truth, as we put on the breastplate of righteousness, Lord God, that we would become increasingly battle-ready to not let the attacks of the enemy get into our heart, get into our life, but we would live securely and confidently in you, Lord Jesus. Lord, would you bless every individual, bless every family, every household, every workplace, every business, Lord God. Lord, everybody that would call this church their home church, Lord, I pray for an anointing that would flow through, Lord God, bringing life, bringing healing, bringing uh, completeness, Lord God, bringing love, which binds all of this together. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Hey, God bless you. If you prayed that prayer for the first time or put your hand up, I would love to meet with you. I'll be right here coming. Say good day. I want to pray with you and encourage you. Uh, if you connect with Jesus for the first time or reconnected with him, I know there's a couple. So, hey, please come. Say good day. We'd love that. Otherwise, next week, Rian is going to be bringing the word. Rian Grobler, yes. Out on kids this morning, but he'll be here next. And they would be brilliant. Uh, and then we've got Steve and then Pastor David. And it's going to be an incredible series. So make sure you're here each week to see how we unpack the armor of God together. Hey, God bless you. Have a great week.